This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Jack Riccardi, afternoons 4 till 7. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Oh, is this guy on the radio again? Is this guy back again? Yes, he is. KTSA News Time is 4.04. Welcome to Tuesday afternoon. We're, we're easing into this new year. The new year is, is, is not so new now, right? It's, it's losing its new year smell, I think. Is that what I smell? I don't know. Anyway, welcome to our show and join in at 210-599-5555. There's an incredible story going on in Virginia today. I know you've been hearing about it in the news, and you perhaps have seen some of the pictures, and now they're starting to, to do uh, you know, interviews with people that are trapped in their cars. There's people trapped in, in cars along a, uh, I guess, about a 40-mile stretch of I-95 in Virginia. What happened was, and this happens every winter in some part of the country, there's a, a chain reaction accident that then uh, turns an interstate highway into kind of a, a chute or a, a canyon. You can't just say, well, I'll zip down a side street. You know, I'll cut over here and cut over there like you would on surface streets. If street A is blocked, right, you go to street B. So um, some people stayed in their cars, slept in their cars overnight. Um, some people uh, left their cars. They got out of the car. It's the hell with this. And, and that, of course, that exacerbates the problem because now that car uh, is just in the way so they're working this issue and i don't know exactly i don't know that we know exactly what is to blame here like i've heard people say in in online discussions well did these people not pay attention to the weather forecasts and it's possible that they maybe they should have i I don't know um i i do get the feeling when i see stories about um highways and and traffic jams and traffic congestion and so forth i do get the feeling that we're kind of living through times in which our politics uh, politicians and leaders really are discouraging the ownership of and the reliance on private vehicles so i'm not saying that not saying that the politicians made the backup happen on a 995, but you know, if it turns out that we're not building highway capacity to keep up with development, and that's a very highly developed part of Virginia, if if, if we're not keeping up with road building and road capacity, and we know we're not here, right? You know that every time you hit highway uh, construction around San Antonio and Austin, it's always too little, too late. Whatever they're doing. They should have done 10 or 20 years ago. Or if they're adding a lane, they really need to add two. And so you get the feeling that, that it's almost like they've got a finger on the scale. They're not cool with cars. They're not cool with you having yours and going anywhere you want, anytime you want. They're not interested in investing in the ability to keep that going. That's, that's a, a, a thoroughly American tradition 
the independence and freedom of moving around with your own vehicle. It's it's the greatest anti-poverty program in history. The automobile is the is the ultimate anti-poverty program. The, the automobile is the is the most transformative thing in the last 100 years, right? I mean, it's moved people up socioeconomically. It's moved people from the city to the country, from the country to the city. People can live in any any state they want to. They can uh, reinvent themselves and go somewhere else. And cars make that possible. When you were young, your car was the thing that got you away from your parents. Before cars, people went on dates with chaperones. Once you got a car, you were old enough to drive the family car, your life changed, hopefully for the better, but I'm sure it changed. Now, I think we're living through a time when they would like to see that start to winnow down and come to an end. And why is that? Is it because they're worried about the environment or sustainability? Well, I think it's more about control. You know, when we talk a lot about encroachment on free speech and we talk about how government and big tech are colluding to uh, limit the spectrum of free speech. It's still free for most people, but here and there people are getting cut off and deplatformed. I think the I think the same approach is being taken to the car. There was a speech given the other day in the UK by the Minister of Transportation for the UK government. The UK government, by the way, is a conservative government. It's the Boris Johnson government. But Trudy Harrison is the Minister of Transport, and she said that uh, private car ownership will be over soon, and you will like it. She was praising public transportation, which you would expect somebody in her job to do. But she called private car ownership, quote, 20th century thinking. And she said people will have more flexibility once they give up their cars. Is that true? I mean, I know people give up their car sometime and say, I'm, I'm not going to have one anymore, I'm going to ride a bike, I'm going to take the Via. But is it actually true that you have more flexibility? That sounds Orwellian. Um, when you use public transportation, you're on their schedule, you're on their grid. You go where they go, you stop where they stop. Your car doesn't work that way. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't come over to visit you, my car doesn't go there. <laughs> no one ever said that, right? I wonder... I wonder if there's sort of a gradual squeeze being put on you and me. And when they make excuses about stuff like what's happening in Virginia, it makes me wonder even more. And then I think about the electric car deal. I'm not against electric cars, but I keep wondering, how are you going to make this work? You're going to plug in all these additional electric cars to a grid that can't support the current use of electricity, where electric cars are a negligible uh, you know, uh, drain on it. All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot more of them. You guys are barely able to keep the heat and lights on in a, in a Texas freeze. How's that going to work? Well, maybe it's not going to work. And maybe they know it's not going to work. And maybe they're going to come back at us when it doesn't work and say, well, you know, you probably just need to give up this idea of owning a car. Now that you have your electric car, and by the way, thanks for doing that, but, uh, you know, you, maybe you'd just be better off without a car. Kind of have the feeling that this current crop of politicians will come up with that answer when the time comes. I want to talk about that. 210-599-5555. By the way, this is very funny. In Virginia, uh, there's a whole online Twitter uh, storm uh, attacking Glenn Youngkin 
uh, for the crisis in uh, Virginia, and people are tweeting at Glenn Youngkin, uh, hey, you know, you're probably safe and warm in your mansion while Virginians are freezing to death on I-95, and what did you do about the storm, and why aren't you solving this, and why aren't you mobilizing resources, and uh, don't you know, instead of worrying about CRT, why aren't you... Glenn Youngkin isn't the governor of Virginia yet. He won't be the governor of Virginia for another 11 days. He won the election, but he's only the governor-elect. He has about as much authority in this as I do. It's funny how people will turn to politics just to vent, just to... And not even... It took me two seconds to Google the inaugural date for governor of Virginia. So how long would it have taken these bozos before they tweeted? But that's what you do with Twitter, right? You tweet before you think. Um, The teachers' unions, National Educators United and AFT are calling for a pause on in-person education. We need two weeks. I'm not making this up. They're not calling it two weeks to flatten the curve, but they almost could, right? We need a two-week pause on in-person learning. Now that Omicron is here, this was in a New Year's Day letter that both unions sent to President Biden and Vice President Harris. It was a great article. You're not going to hear me say this very often. It was a great article in the New York Times today, really, uh, by David Leonhardt, uh, called No Way to Grow Up. And it is about the depressing cost and damage that we have done to children to try to escape COVID. We haven't escaped it. We're not escaping it, obviously. But we have spent the better part of two years... He writes, Americans have accepted more harm to children in exchange for less harm to adults. Americans have accepted more harm to children in exchange for less harm to adults. It's exactly right. I mean, it's depressing to say it or read it, but it's right. He writes, we have, cons- we have consistently put children and young people last, and it shows. This is another example, we we talked about this a little bit yesterday, this is another example of the liberal media and the Democrats kind of saying stuff now that we've been saying for a long time, and when we would say it, they would go bananas, right? I mean, you could could get deplatformed for saying this two years ago. Maybe you could get deplatformed for saying it now, unless you are a writer for the New York Times. For the last two years, he writes, large parts of American society have decided harming children was an unavoidable side effect of COVID. And that was probably true in the spring of 2020 when nearly all of society shut down, but it's less defensible since then. Then he goes on to talk about the data. Um, He writes, some researchers are skeptical that school closures even reduce COVID cases. Other interventions like forcing students to sit apart from friends at lunch probably have little benefit. We're going to talk to Dr. Marty McCary here in a few minutes about all of this. We know that COVID, especially long COVID, is very rare in children. And children who get it tend to be either asymptomatic or have cold symptoms. But what he's writing about is the very real and considerable damage to their mental health that we've done. You know, we keep patting ourselves on the back these days, modern man, 
we're so enlightened about mental health issues and we get it now and the stigma's gone and there's there's hey if you need help uh, don't be afraid I think we've completely had a blind spot about mental health of children. Don't you? I mean, you don't have to think it. You, you may have seen it with your own kiddos. And so his basic point is, why are we still, and even today, visiting misery on kids? And I think there might be an answer to this question. And you probably won't like it. You might not agree with it, but you might agree with it and not like it. Joining us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line right now from Johns Hopkins University, and we're always glad to have him back, Dr. Marty McCary. And Dr. McCary, thanks for making time for us. Good afternoon to you. We were we were just talking about the New York Times piece, uh, No Way to Grow Up, where they are finally admitting what people have been talking about for the better part of two years, that all of the upending of the lives of children has not only not saved us from COVID, but has really hurt them. Well, that's right. You know, we've expected kids to endure more hardship and and harm, harm to their health, in order for adults to enjoy a hair more protection. And that's not fair. It's abusive to kids. If you see what's happening right now at colleges and universities, they're basically imposing tremendous restrictions on the lowest risk people on earth. I mean, they're imposing martial law on students who are all vaccinated or they have immunity from natural immunity. They're super low risk. And now they're moving on to boosting them and going virtual and masking. I mean, I just did a sort of report of colleges and universities in the United States published it um, today in Substack and I was blown away by what the students were telling me. Staff at Georgetown University policing the library, looking for people who are taking a sip of water where they loosen their mask because they they routinely are supposed to leave the library to go sip their water outside. So people have lost their minds, and we need to get back to some reasonable policies here. Wouldn't it be more dangerous for college students to be at home with their parents, going out with their friends at night, coming back to their parents. From a COVID transmission standpoint, that seems more dangerous than if they're all on campus together. Schools are a very safe place. And when you close schools as we did with, a, by the way, a less contagious variant, then um, they don't, they're not living in the International Space Station. They're not frozen they're interacting still when schools are closed and they're interacting with more vulnerable populations. So kids have been an afterthought. They have been, they've taken a back seat as adults have gotten their way. They were last in the reopening strategy. You know, adults were going to their bars and open bowling alleys while kids were still shut out of schools last spring. And that's because they're defenseless. So all of these policies against schools, in my opinion, keep them closed have been an abuse of power by adults. We're uh, we're hearing some chatter about maybe a fourth booster and I, I it's 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 getting very hard to take any of this seriously as science as opposed to just sort of guesswork. Where where are you on the idea of adding boosters and 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 so forth? 
Well, I actually believe in the scientific process. And right now, there's no data to support additional boosters. As a matter of fact, the only place where the booster data is supportive right now is for the third dose in people over age 50, especially those with a risk factor. And if you got the J&J dose, that should have been designed as a two-dose vaccine, so I recommend a second dose. And if you have natural immunity, something that the government generally ignores, you don't need additional vaccine doses. So that's where I stand right now. There are people who want to want you to get a booster every Monday morning when you show up at work. We've just got to wait for the data. Now, I got COVID right before Christmas, and I had had both uh, Moderna shots. I'd had the booster. I got the monoclonal antibody treatment um, about three days in, four days in, and was better in about 48 hours. But I, I don't know, and even they couldn't tell me if that was coincidental or uh, or if there's data to support that that is helping people, what do we? How much do we know about the monoclonal treatment? Well, the problem with the monoclonal antibodies is that two of them don't work with Omicron, and we don't know which strain you have because it's never been a part of the workflow of the medical profession. That is the processes of the hospital to get you the result of which variant you have mm-hmm. and get that information back to your doctors and then have you set up for monoclonals. And we just sort of got caught flat-footed. You know, it's usually in the outpatient setting, and it's, um, and it's hard to get that lab information sequenced and back to your doctor and then coordinate the monoclonals. But separate from the monoclonals, we have other great treatments that are massively underrecognized and underused. Fluvoxamine, for example, is an antidepressant that's been around the whole pandemic. It costs about 10 bucks. They're very safe, and the studies have found that it reduces COVID mortality by up to 91%. Those are randomized control trials, and there's no data to the contrary. It does not have the controversy of other therapeutics, but you never hear about these things. And so the best practices out there are to use a bundle of interventions, and I believe right now if you do that, nobody should be dying of COVID right now, with rare exceptions. Have we done enough to be honest with people about their own proactive health? In other words, e- even outside of COVID, you know, we have this whole concept of fat shaming and we're not supposed to talk about it. But are, are we holding back from people what we actually know and have already known about how if you take better care of yourself, you are in a better position to either resist or weather these things? Well, thank you for bringing that up because. Nobody has been talking about this, and a bunch of us have been talking to we're blue in the face. I mean, how much more can we do than write dozens of articles and try to get the word out on this? When we told people to stay at home, we should have told them to get outside, be active, get out there and do all kinds of, you know, keep yourself in good shape. We are not allowed to talk about obesity for some reason with COVID, even though it's the number one common risk factor out there beyond advanced age. So we need to have a real honest conversation. And to be honest with you, humility is something I think people are hungry from for from our public health officials. I think we should, I think people should just be very straight with uh, the public right now because public health credibility is at an all-time low and some honesty would help repair some of that damage. Amen to that. Dr. Marty McCary, always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you today. Thanks so much for having me. 
a shepherd in Germany uh, herded, is that the right word, I guess, herded, uh, her sheep, 700 sheep, using uh, drops of uh, pieces of bread dropped on the ground. She herded her sheep into the shape of a 300-foot syringe. And they took a picture of it with a with a drone. So the view from above is all these sheep arranged in the shape of a syringe to encourage people to get vaccinated. <laughs> sheep. They used sheep. How do you not get that? The organizer said it was aimed at the hesitant, the vaccine hesitant. Quote, sheep are such likable animals. Maybe they can get the message out better. You can't make it up. Do you know who Patton Oswalt is? Do you know who he is? He's a stand-up comedian. And um, he's been in the news because he posted a picture of himself with Dave Chappelle who's also a stand-up comedian. We've talked about him a lot. And the backstory is that Patton Oswalt and Dave Chappelle are friends, and they've been friends for a long time. And they hadn't seen each other in a long time, and they did what people do when they get together with a friend they haven't seen in a long time. They, they took a picture together. Patton Oswalt is now falling all over himself, rolling around on the ground apologizing for posting a picture with Dave Chappelle. Because Patton Oswalt is a big-time lefty, and he markets himself or promotes himself as an ally of the LGBTQ community, and the LGBTQ community is supposed to be at war with Dave Chappelle. I know a lot of uh, gay people that think Dave Chappelle's hilarious and spot-on with the things he says, but again... The organizers or the representatives or the people that speak for everyone else, oh, no, no, he's the worst person in the world. So Patton Oswalt, instead of just saying, he's my friend, screw off, is apologizing. And he did this whole long Instagram post about how, uh, well, um, I, I, I like him, but I disagree with him on this issue, and I'm hoping that he'll evolve on this issue. Um, so on the one hand, he's saying, I'm still friends with him and I'm, I'm staying friends with him, but he's, he's really trying to reassure his gay allies or his gay fans that he's loyal to them. And he's apologizing for the picture, which to me undercuts everything else he said. Look, if you're my friend and we take a picture together and then you tell the world you're sorry you took a picture with me, what does that say about our friendship? It says our friendship is crap, right? It's our friendship is not worth anything to you. I mean, if you can't stand with a friend, then you just that isn't a friendship. It doesn't require paragraphs of explanation. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm the world's authority on friendship, but I think friendship's pretty simple. Either you are or you're not. Some of the tweets Patton Oswalt got that apparently hurt him. This guy wrote, You realize that giving someone time to evolve is coming from a position of privilege. So it's privilege to... Yeah. 
Uh, other people told Pat Oswalt, um, if you're friends with a transphobe, you are a transphobe. Perhaps you should rethink what ally means in the context of being an ally to the LGBTQ community. How is it that gay people get to decide for all other gay people? How does that work? Can you explain that to me? How is it that you get to say, my point of view on this, if I'm gay, is representative of all the other gay men and women? I speak for them all. Was there an election? I just want to know. I want to understand. I mean, I can't speak for an entire group of people. I belong to some groups, I guess. I can't say, well, all Italian-Americans feel the way I do, or all talk show hosts feel the way I do, or all, I don't know, all dads feel the way I do. You can't say it, right? So I'm picking on Patton Oswalt because I think he's a, I think he's a weasel. I'll admit I like Dave Chappelle, and I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle, and I think he has said some things that needed to be said. If you listen to him, as opposed to listening to people talk about him, he's not anti-LGBTQ at all. He has very pointed observations about the way this debate has been framed and the way things are going, but he's not, he doesn't hate these people or hate anybody. I, I guess it, it, and so it made me think about friendship and being friends with people you disagree with. Can you be friends with someone who is your political opposite? And I don't just mean political like you voted for Trump and they voted for Biden. I mean across any issue, whether it's LGBTQ or just anything. Can you be friends with someone who on a major issue you are opposite? Not just disagree, opposite. Can you be friends? And if you are, does that make you disloyal to your side? Like, can we not trust you? We have the big secret meeting. No, we're not letting him in. He's got some friends that are a little sketchy. So, um, Pat Oswalt, stand-up comedian, longtime friend with Dave Chappelle. Comedians get to be friends. They, you know, they they meet each other a lot doing shows and and friendships blossom and they're you know they they lead kind of a lonely life because they're on the road so they're away from their families and they bond with each other and there's a lot of these friendships that have gone back many a year um and he seems very proud of the fact that he's friends with dave chappelle but when he posted a picture of himself with dave chappelle he then just fell all over himself apologizing because a few gay people got mad at him now first of all I always, I always wonder why people think Twitter is the universe. Why do people think that whoever gets at you on social media is the whole world or the real world? It's the opposite of that. If you're gauging where people are at or the temperature of the people, you know, the real world, if you're getting that, if your window on that is, is Twitter or Instagram, you're already doing it wrong. But secondly, even if they're coming at you other ways, even if they're sending you emails or something, that's their point of view. They don't speak for everybody. They don't speak for everybody of their political persuasion or gender persuasion or whatever it is. Why is that not obvious? And then what is a friendship if you apologize for taking a picture with the guy? 
and you have to call him evolving. You know what that's a fancy way of saying? That's a fancy way of Patton Oswalt saying, Dave Chappelle's ignorant, but maybe he'll get smarter. That's what he's saying. Who needs a friend like that? Now, don't get me wrong. I think you can be friends with people that you are politically opposite. I think it's very easy to do, actually. You want to know the secret? It's very simple. You have to like or love them more than you hate their political point of view. You have to like them or love them more than you hate or dislike their opinion. If if their opinion is bigger to you than seeing them, talking with them, grabbing onto them, then that's not really a good friendship and you probably need to turn them loose and you probably need to find some other people. If all you see when you see that person is, oh, he voted for Trump, then that's really not good for you and it's not good for them. And I'm I'm not saying that you have to seek out people that you are the opposite of, or, or that there's virtue in having friends that you are the opposite of. But if you happen to be friends, or you become friends, or you make friends, or you're attracted to, I don't think it's I don't think I don't think it's that hard. Of course, it takes two, right? Both both of you have to take that attitude. It's sometimes the case that you're willing to be magnanimous about it, but they get petty or they get cranky or whatever. And maybe you can't do it. But I think it's possible. 210-599-5555. James is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. James, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd like to say that, of course, it's possible possible to be friends with a political um, enemy because I worked out with a buddy for two years. He was a conservative right wing, and I'm a liberal. And we helped each mm-hmm. other excel at the gym for two mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Just because we cared about our own progress and we left yeah. politics yeah. out of it, that's and great. We great By the way, why does a person? Why does a person you disagree with? Excuse, excuse me, James. Why does a person you disagree with have to be a political enemy? Seems like a pretty strong word. Well, well, his his his. Of course, his political views are different than mine. I'm not so sure it's an enemy thing. They're just different. But and that's what you the, said. You said enemy. About you love the person, and that's great. But you also don't talk about politics. <laughs> well, I <laughs> agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I disagree with the idea that if somebody voted differently from me or believes differently than me, that makes them my enemy. Because if somebody's your enemy, you you actually have to fight them. That's that's like a li- life or death thing, right? You're talking about political enemy and not physical enemy. He was never my mm, No, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think if you if you define someone as your enemy, only one of you can prevail. There isn't space for for an enemy. You can't coexist with an enemy. Why can't this person that you disagree with just be somebody you disagree with? Why does it have to be enemy? Well, I don't know. You brought up the point political enemy, so I thought I'd call no, I didn't. about it. No, I didn't. I didn't use that word. You use that word. Oh, what did you say? That's typical of a left winger, though, to put that word in my mouth. That's that figures you would do that. That's that that figures you would that figures you would do that. Uh, I didn't use the word enemy. I said, can you be friends with your political opposite? Oh, you okay? I can agree with that. So my political opposite is not my enemy. I understand that. Yes, we were great friends, and we still are to this day, even online. 
I mean, it seems like there'd be a lot more to a friendship than just the political part. I mean, you could be friends with somebody just over politics, but if, if the politics part doesn't work, like you said, the weightlifting or the fitness or having a common hobby, the, the, isn't that more than enough? seems like that's more than enough. I agree with you, man. Yeah. So okay, James. I, thank I you. I appreciate the call. I, I think. I think. I just wanted to make sure we weren't. We weren't. I didn't want the word to be. Um, it, it, you know, I was kind of particular about the use of the word enemy. I don't. I don't think that's the right. I don't think that's the right word. But thank you. I appreciate your call. Um, yeah. See, I. I don't think we're naturally like this. I think the social media world. I think politicians who seek to divide Americans and keep Americans at each other's throats which is a very conscious decision. Don't think that's happened accidentally. It's very conscious. The class warfare, the pitting people against each other is very intentional. Um, but I don't think we have to be like this. I don't think we're naturally like this. And, um, and so it's just very simple. If the person is your opposite, either on politics or some cultural issue or social issue, if you know that or that that becomes apparent, maybe after you've gotten to know them a little while, maybe this is a neighbor and you're starting to get to know a new neighbor. So I don't know. Can you be friends? And 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 yeah, the James is right. The obvious answer is yes. I guess there are people that will say no, but I, I think the answer is yes. Andy is on 550 and 1071 KTSA San Antonio. Andy, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. So, friendship. What about when you're married to your total opposite politically? Mm. What do you mm. think about that? Well, first of all, I think, uh, is, it, is it safe to say that if you're married, you also have to be friends? Yes, definitely. Okay. So, this would be like a friendship with marriage on top of it mm-hmm. or added to it um are you doing that are you in that situation yes yes my husband is a total opposite politically okay. uh, than i am total opposite and did you know total that opposite. from the beginning like from the time you met him or is that sort of emerged over time it's emerged over time we've been married for a long long time a long time a long time so it's it's been emerging um, so there's topics that we don't discuss so that there's no arguments because we're definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum. So just to keep the peace and to continue the friendship and the marriage for that, we decide not to discuss certain topics. I think that's smart. Because, um, I mean, you do that in a marriage anyway, right? If you don't like yes. uh, your in-laws or, you know, you know something exactly. like that, you just you just don't go there. You don't bring it up. Now, let me ask you this. Um if you had known at the beginning, would it have changed your decision to see him and, and then eventually get married to him? No. No, it wouldn't have changed. Okay. okay. It wouldn't well, have changed. To me, Definitely. I think you're doing it the right I think you're doing it the right way. I mean there's there's other stuff you love him for. You don't have to love him for his political point of view, right? Exactly. And you're and not trying to change him. Different. You're not you're not working on him, right? You're nope. not saying, Hey, I'm gonna try to nope. win you over. Nope, not at all, not at all. You know, like anything else, uh, you know, he has his opinion about certain things. I have mine, and yeah. that's the end of that. And I we like continue it. the friendship and the marriage. I like it. So you've been married a long time. Congratulations. Thank you. 48 years. Oh, God bless you. That is wonderful. Very good, Andy. You're doing something yeah. right. 
We could all learn from you. Thank you. Um, Oscar is on 550 and 1071 KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Oscar. Hello. I'm somebody that's very, very uh, conservative. You know, there's obviously things that uh, we can all agree upon, but it's really hard when the left does consider you the political enemy. They teach kids that Trump was worse than Hitler, that uh, you're racist if you're not Democrat. You know, I think, I wish the left would line up a little bit. I know there's extreme on the right, but the left is either you're with us or you are literally the enemy, and you should be outlawed, you should be blackballed, you do not deserve to make money, you do not deserve, at a certain point, it's going to be like other nations uh, back in the day when you went to a re-education camp, and if that didn't work, they took you behind the building, there was a gunshot, and you were declared missing for the rest of your life. Um, let me ask you, do you have any friends that are your opposites? Uh, yes, I do. And we have political discussions, and that's a good thing. But there, but I do have a neighbor that just uh, can't stand me because I'm a Trump supporter. And, you know, we've been neighbors a long time, and I feel really bad. I feel like, what yeah. would that have to do with our friendship and being neighbors? Right, right. You, you wonder, why would people want to throw away something really nice over over that, over something that's kind of come and go? And I really Oscar, wish, good you know, point. I appreciate the call. I think you're. I think you're right about that. Now, I, I just got an email from Reed who says, um, "I disagree with you on this one thing, Jack. I think that it's better if you have that friend to have the political discussions." Well, I think it depends, Reed, on on you and on the other person. Some people, and I know people like this, and maybe Reed, you're like this. Some people thrive on the tension and the the you know they want to. Sp- they basically want to spar all the time, right? It's it's fun for them to argue, and and uh, they can go. You know, you see people go on and on for hours, right, on Twitter or Facebook, back and forth, back and forth. If if both of you are are built like that, I think you can do that. But if only one of you is built like that, you can't. Then I think you have to go with the other thing. Well, we what we have in common are. Our kids are the same age, or what we have in common is we're Catholic, or what we have in common is we both love to, you know, work on our house, or we both love our Harleys, or we both, you know, and, and you just don't go where the politics are or where the disagreement is. But I do know there are people that would say it's it's fun to have the the argument. I'll tell you something interesting. I've I have I have friends that are political opposites. I have a really good friend who is about as politically opposite me as you can possibly, possibly be. And when we first met, we did the the arguing and the debating thing. And I finally told him, and, you know, clearly there was no going to be no change of mind, right? I finally told him, I said, look, I, I do this for a living. I don't relish having political debates after hours. I, I, I don't want to. And by the way, that's true. I really don't want to. If you, if you were to get to know me outside of this show, we could talk about anything but the stuff we talk about on this show. And, and it disappoints people because they think, oh, it's going to be just like, but no. When I'm at seven o'clock, I'm done with this. Honest, straight up. Don't want to do it. Not interested in it. And, um, and so once we got that out of our system, you know, once we sparred and and had our you know ten rounds, uh, then we moved on to a friendship where we just it's just about other stuff. It's fine, and I, I guess it works for it has to work for both people. 
and and like the lady was saying about the marriage, same thing. I think it, I think it, you you don't want your mar- you want your marriage to be a refuge from the world. Shouldn't a good marriage be be like a shelter from all the craziness? So you wouldn't want to come home and be like, oh boy, once I pull in the driveway, I gotta <laughs> gotta get my gotta get my talking points ready. Gotta get my gotta, gotta get my uh, index card with my COVID statistics on it ready. You don't want to do that. Unless you both really enjoy that. But I don't know how that could work over years and years of a marriage. I mean, friends, you see them once in a while, right? This friend I'm describing, maybe I see him, you know, once a month or something. So it's, it's not a marriage. I don't know about every day. I guess there's, you know, there's somebody out there for everyone, right? Chuck Schumer, the majority leader of the United States Senate right now, is um, talking some big talk this week about ending... The filibuster. He um, has tried this before, and he wants to do it again. He says over the coming weeks, um, the Senate will, this is how he wrote it, he wrote a letter to the senators, the Senate will consider how to perfect this union and confront the historic challenges facing our democracy. What are the historic challenges facing our democracy? I would say things like ending the filibuster, packing the Supreme Court, uh, doing away with the Electoral College, federalizing elections. All the things that I, I would think are the actual threats to our democracy are all things Chuck Schumer is for. So here's another politician saying, trust me, I can fix the problems I create. The letter goes on. We hope that our Republican colleagues will change course and work with us, but if they don't, the Senate will debate and consider changes to Senate rules on or before January 17th to protect the foundation of our democracy, free and fair elections. Let me translate that. Chuck Schumer is throwing a Hail Mary pass because the only way they can pass that bill that would federalize elections would be if there were no filibusters. Now, what's interesting about this is if you're in politics long enough, you usually wind up having been on both sides of an issue. Chuck Schumer's been around for decades. Back in 2005, when there was a Republican president and Senate, Chuck Schumer thought that ending the filibuster was a terrible awful, no good, worst ever idea. In fact, I want to play you uh, the clip, if we can play it, Edwin, cut number one. This is Chuck Schumer in 2005. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, to wash away 200 years of history. They want to make this country into a banana republic, where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. A doomsday for democracy. Chuck Schumer should meet Chuck Schumer. 
They just want to change the rules, he said, because they can't get their way. Isn't that what he's doing now? And the, that, that quote about the cooling saucer thing, I guess Chuck Schumer has forgotten some of his history, but apparently at one time he knew it. The Senate is, in fact, supposed to be the circuit breaker or the deliberative slow down, everybody, hold on a minute, part of our system. That's why senators were appointed, not elected, for the first um, over 100 years of our history. So for the longest time, until I think 1917, if I have the year right, states appointed their senators. Because that job and that body was considered so important that we didn't want it to be some sort of backslapping, baby-kissing politician. We wanted it to be people that were sober and deliberative, like almost none of them are now. And so... He, he knew that in 2005, or at least he pretended to care about that in 2005. But now all of a sudden, oh, rules, schmules, you know, we got to move on here. we got stuff to do. Always be aware when one political party or the other tells you that we can't wait. That's always code for you're going to lose something and never get it back. We can't wait. Obama used to say that a lot. When he would try to do something you can't do under the powers vested in the president. We can't wait, he would say. And by wait, he meant we can't have a vote. We can't have hearings. We can't find out what the people think. We can't open up the mailbag and see what, what people want from us, those who we represent. Or these bills now that they're, they're passing, both parties are passing bills now that are thousands of pages long and they freely admit they haven't read them. And Pelosi famously one time said, you, will, you have to pass it to find out what's in it, which was one of the truest things she ever said, because the only way you would have found out what was in it was after you were stuck with it. And if it's a good idea, if there's something in a bill that's a really good, popular idea, boy, when people hear this, they're just going to lap it up and love it. They'd want you to know. So it tells you something that they don't want you to know. It's very interesting. These are interesting times. Um, I think they are basically trying to rig the 2022 election, either in the way it's conducted or who votes or COVID restrictions. Oh, we got to do it by mail. Or possibly they're setting us up for if they get creamed in the midterms, which a lot of people think they will, they're setting us up for, well, none of this is legitimate. We're not going to accept these results because, you know, you didn't listen to us. We wanted to federalize elections. We wanted to have uh, mail-in voting, and we wanted people to vote 24 hours a day from their car, and you didn't let us do that. You, you red states returned voting to the model of pre-2020, hence <clears throat> the fact that you guys won the House and Senate. We're not accepting that. Remember when they were so sure that Trump would not elect would not accept the results of his elections? They were telling you then that they will not accept results of an election they don't like. And if you think I'm wrong, just ask yourself this question. You can think I'm full of you know what, but just ask yourself this question. You've seen you've seen Pelosi and Schumer in action. You've heard the rhetoric. Do you honestly think they will concede 
in 2022, if they are wiped out in the Senate and the House and the governor's races and the legislator races? They're talking about their opponents, to use the words of our caller a few minutes ago, their opponents are enemies. You are an enemy. The people you vote for are enemies of democracy. Hitler isn't a strong enough word. So do you really think they'll concede to Hitler? Would anyone do that? If that's who you think you're running against, do you concede? Will they? So that's the desperation here. By the way, there was a story, um, Cheryl Atkinson had a story on her blog about how um, they're conducting that audit here in Texas of the voting in 2020. So far they have found, so far, uh, they have found more than 11,000 non-citizen voters. And when you confront people with that, you know what they say? Well, that's not, that's not really very many. That, that wouldn't make a difference. So we used to say every vote should count and the sanctity of the vote and your vote is your voice. But I guess that isn't true. I guess the new slogan is, well, um, we don't really care about votes until you're talking about a number of them that could change an election. Of course, an election could be changed by far fewer than 11,000. I don't know, I don't know by what measurement 11,000 is not enough. But that's the response. Oh, 11,000? That's not so bad. Now, 11,000 here and 11,000 there may or may not have changed the outcome for Trump. But what this shows is that when you really look, the people that are supposed to be policing and safeguarding our elections are either really bad at it or are looking the other way and waving illegal voters into the booth. It's got to be one or the other, right? Either they're knowingly letting non-citizens register or they're just really bad at protecting the vote. So if they're bad at it, and the if you will permit me the analogy, if the border is porous for illegal voters, won't there be more and more and more of them when word gets out? Remember what happened with our actual border? The more the world found out you could get in, the more the world came to that door and then overwhelmed that door until even the people that wanted to enforce that border couldn't do it. And I think the same thing's happening with our voting rolls. In fact, I'm pretty sure it is. I was watching Monday Night Football last night, which, by the way, it, w- I'm, not a, I'm not a Steelers fan, and I've never really been a Roethlisberger fan, but that was very cool to watch him play his last game in Pittsburgh at the, you know, in front of the home crowd. They sure do love him and love that team, and it's, it's cool to see that. Um, and he had a great uh, you know, final home game. But anyway, um, I don't watch, I usually don't watch Monday Night Football. I don't watch the Manning cast. Do you know what the Manning cast is? Anybody know what the Manning cast is? Edwin, you probably know what the Manning cast is. You're a sports guy. ESPN has this alternative way you can watch Monday Night Football with this kind of like watch party hosted by Peyton and Eli Manning. It's I, I, To me, it's unwatchable. But anyway, apparently um, they had Aaron Rodgers on. And Aaron Rodgers has suddenly become a 
controversial guy. For the longest time, Aaron Rodgers was just like quietly going about the business of being a future Hall of Fame quarterback, played up in Green Bay. People, you know, either love or hate Green Bay, but you know, he, he was he was probably one of the least controversial sports stars we we had until COVID, until this whole vaccine thing. And now all of a sudden, it, it, people have lost their minds over Aaron Rodgers. So anyway, he's on with the Manning brothers, and they're joshing with him about the, all the books on the shelf behind him. Let me play it for you because I want you to hear this. Uh, cut number two. Listen to this. What are some of those, are books, some of those books shoulder? Yeah. What, what are we reading oh, yeah. on, on a Monday or Tuesday? Poetry. Yeah, a lot of a lot of French poetry. Yeah. Uh, got Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand over here, and you know, I arranged him to look like you know the, the whole thing is is filled here. I got I got this helmet here with both of you guys signed on that. I guess I left the Akagirin. Obviously, that's a so it's, it's the you know it's the things that count for sure. All right, so he points out his copy of Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. By the way, we're on a streak here. This is the second day in a row we've talked about Ayn Rand on our show. Who knew, right? Um, I, I mean, nothing wrong with that. It's one of the most famous books of the 20th century. It is um, perfectly in keeping with a guy who is thoughtful and interested in the idea of rights and the rights of the individual and because that's what Ayn Rand was all about in both her fiction and nonfiction writing that was her whole you know jam Ayn Rand did not like the government telling people what to do Aaron Rodgers does not like the government telling him what to do so he has he has her book people went crazy you'd have thought he had Porn, or well, it, would, it actually wouldn't have been any big deal if he'd had porn. I don't know what you can even compare this to. People were triggered. People were horrified. I guess this would be like having Mein Kampf on your shelf, and even that would be justifiable because, again, it's a work of literature that that has influenced history. If you have that, or you have Mao's Little Red Book, that doesn't mean you believe in it. It means you wanted to know what was in it. I've read them. I probably wouldn't pose for a picture with them, but, you know, whatever. Aaron Rodgers, Ann Rand, Atlas Shrugged. What are they so afraid of? If the left is, if, if the left has everything right, if they're correct about everything, why are they so threatened by a quarterback who has a copy of Ann Rand? Why? If their ideas are good and durable and explainable and it's what we all really want, what's the what? Doesn't their fragility and their triggeredness, if I can make up a word, tell you how even they know they're just barely getting away with this? They're just barely pulling this off. They're not sure, but... They're thinking at any minute you're going to wise up to them. And I think people are. Aaron Rodgers is. Yeah, Ann Rand is someone who would, if she was alive today and active and writing, and she'd probably have a blog or something or maybe a talk show, I don't know. She would be huge right now. She is of the moment right now. This is 
this is somebody who's who's who just was born too soon because right now is when people across the political spectrum are waking up having the unplug the matrix kind of moment red pill whatever you want to call it and um the the way she questioned the political establishment and she was as hard on the republicans as she was on the democrats brutal she did a lot of her opinion writing during the 50s and 60s and no one was safe she wrote a book everybody talks about atlas shrugged which was a novel um and was a movie and and uh and the fountainhead is also a terrific book and movie and and her ideas are in those novels and they're very well done but the best book by Ayn Rand, in my humble opinion is a book she wrote called capitalism the unknown ideal and it's a series of essays you can read one here and there and read them a little at a time but capitalism the book capitalism the premise of it is that and she's writing this mind you in the 50s and 60s so you can imagine what she would think now her premise in that book is that the reason capitalism is dying the reason capitalism is is faltering is because capitalists you and me don't defend it we make excuses for success we make excuses for prosperity if somebody gets rich off a good idea or being productive then they have to show that they give money to charity or they do good deeds that makes them that might make them a good person and her point is why aren't you a good person because you invented something why aren't you a good person because you gave people value for their dollar why aren't you a good person because the product or the service you provide makes people's lives easier or has value why do you have to give money to a charity to show that you're a good person it's a great question the minute anybody gets in trouble they make a donation to a charity or they're described as being charitable or we hear of their good deeds i saw this when mitt romney ran for president mitt romney had every qualification to be president both in his business life and in his political life i mean whether you agreed or disagreed with him he was he was certainly qualified to do the job but the way they presented him to the republican national convention is they spent three days talking about all of the acts of charity that he had done and they were very moving stories but it made it sound like if it weren't for these nice things he did being successful would be something you'd be ashamed of and she was big on that why do we shame and shun and attack success and if she was saying that in the 40s 50s and 60s you can imagine <laughs> what she would think about what's going on right now atlas is shrugging 210-599-5555 all right so on our poll question, can you be friends with your political opposite? What do you think about that? Getting a lot of votes. 210-599-5555. And Dane is on KTSA. Dane, good afternoon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jack. Thanks for taking my call. Well, sure. yeah, you can definitely be you know, in a relationship and all that stuff. Um, the interesting twist with me is I'm gay. I'll call myself a right-leaning gay guy you know i like trump the way i was raised and all that stuff and my partner and i we have no trouble with that we usually don't talk about much (laughs) politics stuff is your partner opposite you though on that stuff to to a certain degree yeah 
it's not like I'm yeah. a right wing extremist. He's not a left wing right. extremist. We don't do but all you differ. protests and stuff. But yeah, we differ enough. You know, he's yeah. got his feelings towards the left and vice versa. But would it be safe know, to it, say though that you that you you know I, I guess to me what it sounds like is this is somebody that you love more than you disagree with. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, that's what it is. You know, our personality. And I don't know why that's so. Why is that so complicated for people? Why Why is that so hard for people? I don't know. I, I wish I knew that. You know, I see some of the stuff on TV that these people do and what happens and the crazy stuff they do, and I think, am I really part part of the same species? <laughs> mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm not. You know, there's probably people listening that are strongly against homosexuality and all, but you know, I told I told my mom when I was younger, I don't know, it's there's no nothing there for the for the opposite sex. Yeah. And when we Hey, just, um we the, the way we got on this yeah, the way we got on this subject, I don't know if you were you were listening earlier, we, we were we were talking about the comedian Pat Oswalt who is apologizing to the LGBTQ community because he took a picture with Dave Chappelle. And Dave Chappelle's a friend of his, and he's, he says they've been friends for a long time, but he feels like he owes... I mean, I know you're laughing, right? But he, he, he's, he, he's apologizing like crazy for, for just taking a picture with him. I mean, I, I don't get where this yeah. is... I, I don't feel like most... You, you need to tell me. You need to help me out with this. I don't feel like most gay people are represented by the few who claim to speak for all. I'd say you're, you're probably right on that. There's quite a few people on the, my side of the fence that are, you know, in the middle or conservative leaning, that kind of thing. But at the same time, we're all, we tend to be more quiet because the instant any of us says something, bam, we get right. hassled and all that stuff. And I don't want to deal with that. So I keep my, <laughs> I guess my it's kind of like being a conservative myself. in Hollywood, right? You just keep it to yourself. Oh Yeah. I don't have Facebook. I can't take part in your polls and stuff. I don't have Facebook or any of that stuff. I'm glad you called me at least. So I'm glad we at least at least we got this far with your with your opinion on it. And uh, yeah, no, I don't blame you though. You why go to a place where you know you're just going to get your head kicked in? Well, suit. Now that you put my first name on the air, dang, everyone's going (laughs) to (laughs) know. You're not the only Dane. Come on. Yeah. But I'm glad you called, Dane. I hope you'll call again. It's good to hear from you. I know a lot of people want to know how Sean Rima is doing. He's doing well, feeling better, and he's going to be uh, back in the mornings uh, this Thursday and Friday. Uh, I'm going to continue to do his show in the late morning uh, the rest of the week, but he's going to be back in the mornings, the earlier mornings, um, Thursday and Friday. And then as of Monday, I think we will all be back in our you know, in the right boxes, you know, where we're, where we're all supposed to be, right? So, you know, it's still a new year. We're getting, we're rearranging everything, getting everybody lined up. But he's doing well. He's feeling well. He's very active on Facebook. But if you're not following him on Facebook, he's he's on the mend. Um, we're talking about books, and we often do on this show. It's been a story in the news the last couple of days about a uh, children's book publisher called, uh, or I guess they, I don't know what the name of the company is, but the, the name of the series they publish is called Heroes of Liberty. And they write kids' books um, from a conservative point of view. So they write books about people like Amy Coney Barrett and Ronald Reagan. They were suspended 
from Twitter uh, from uh, Facebook the other day. Facebook claiming that Heroes of Liberty was uh, in violation of policies quote against low quality or disruptive content unquote. I don't know what that means. Low quality or disruptive content. Could it, could they be any vaguer? <laughs> well, why not just say we don't like them? We're taking it down because we don't like it. Why make it all fancy? Disruptive content. Boy, at one time, so old, I remember when the Internet was supposed to be full of disruptive content. That was going to be the best thing about the Internet. Disruptive content. So anyway, the, this this company was mortified because uh, social media, they're, they're a shoestring operation, and social media was, you know, that was going to be it. They needed it. There's a lot of things like that where people sort of, Figure, I'm going to start this thing. I've got this idea. I mean, food trucks work this way. A lot of things work this way in our modern economy where it's on a wing and a prayer and social media is going to make it or break it. So to be taken down, to be banned, is no small thing. So they disabled the account. They were told um, that they can not use it. This got out and you know, kind of made the rounds. Uh, Fox Business did a story about it. They uh, were still on Twitter, and they were tweeting out their plight. And now Facebook is saying um, it was a mistake. I, how many times have you heard this story? You knew I was going to say this, right? You knew, you knew this is where it was going to go. It was an error. Um, a guy named Andy Stone at Facebook uh this should not have happened. It was an error, and the account has been restored. i, I got to ask the question I always ask when these things uh, crop up. Why are all the errors, errors, quote-unquote, about conservative viewpoints or conservative businesses or conservative political candidates or conservative... Why, why do the mistakes... Mistakes should, should distribute randomly, Right? Mistakes should happen randomly, like the flip of a penny. This penny always lands one way. These mistakes always go one way, and only one way. And then it was interesting when they announced they were restating, reinstating the account. People were tweeting about that, and the lady that runs it said they didn't even tell us they were reinstating it. I found out because other people were tweeting at me about it. You know, Facebook is running an ad campaign right now, bragging and boasting about how sensitive and careful and thoughtful they are on content regulation. They they put people on the screen that look like very nice people. They show pictures of their family. The point is, I'm just like you. I'm a real person. I care about this stuff. We're doing our best. Kind of sounds like a crock, doesn't it? Um, People get mad at me when I point out that only the government can censor this stuff as as wrong as it is and although it has the effect of censorship is technically strictly speaking is not censorship but this is how censorship will happen you know we have a system that would make it difficult for the government to directly censor people but easy 
for proxies to do it in their stead. I, I don't think it's beyond the pale of possibility that that's already happening. Already happening. You know, if you can weaponize agencies of government, like the FBI or the IRS, you can also weaponize corporations and private entities that are willing to be weaponized, even wanting to be. On the question, can you be friends with your political opposite? And I say political opposite, but I I think that could really mean a lot of things. That could mean, like, DNR or left and right or, you know... Clinton or Trump, or it could mean, it could mean something else. It could mean something like maybe you, you disagree about a big issue. You know, maybe you're on opposite sides of, I don't know, abortion, or you're on opposite sides of same-sex marriage, you're on opposite side, or maybe there's a series of those things. And, and maybe you're friends with the person and you, and that disagreement is part of the friendship. You guys love arguing. Or maybe the friendship is based on not going there, not, you know, you just sort of agree to disagree and you have a friendship that's built on based on other things. I, I'm not here to tell you what to do and I'm not trying to be a, a, the friendship expert, but I, I always thought it would be sort of sad to limit yourself. You know, not that you should have a, a gazillion friends. It's better to have quality than quantity, but it would be sort of sad to limit yourself to only your tribe. I, I get that some people are really comfortable with that. And uh, I'm not, if you are, more power to you. But what do you think? How do you answer that question? Can you be friends with your political opposite? Well, that was very interesting, and I picked on the guy a little bit. Maybe I was a little bit hard on him. One of the first calls we took a couple of hours ago was the guy who said, uh, oh, yeah, I can be friends with my enemy. And, and I... I didn't use the word enemy in the question. I haven't used the word enemy at all. Because I don't think your opposite is necessarily your enemy. They could be. But not necessarily. And I think it's interesting that we've been conditioned or brainwashed or encouraged to think that if somebody votes differently, they're the enemy. I mean, I take this stuff as seriously as anyone. I It, it, it infuriates me to think about what my political opposites want to do or would do if they had the power to do it. But if you're talking about personal relationships, liking people, enjoying their company, it's kind of like, it's like there are some people who cannot watch a movie or listen to music if the movie maker or the artist has different political views. And then others of us can just hear it and go, that's a great song. I love that song. I love that guy's music, or I love that movie. It's different, you know, different strokes, right? 210-599-5555. By the way, speaking of music, there's an interesting story today. Um, the David Bowie catalog has just been sold for $250 million dollars. Warner Chappelle Music has uh, purchased it from the Bowie Estate. These are hundreds of songs over decades of work by David Bowie. Were you a David Bowie fan? I was a big David Bowie fan. I never saw him in concert. That's one of the con- that's one of the my concert regrets that I never did get to see him play live. 
but I have his albums. I uh, love his music. We've used a lot of his music on the show. We've used Fame and Young Americans and Rebel Rebel on the show, among others. Um, Let's Dance. And you know, the thing about David Bowie that's really cool, he, he was an incredible performer and showman. And I think most people, when they think of David Bowie, the first thing they think of is how kind of outrageous looking he always was. He went through these phases, right? And he always had an interesting look. And sometimes people like that are not, I mean, there's no taking away from the fact that he was a showman, but it, it sometimes distracts you from their other qualities. He was a prolific songwriter. He wrote a lot of music, which is why this is a big deal, this, the sale of this thing. Um, and he was a very clever songwriter. And if you go deep into Bowie albums, he writes songs about stuff that nobody writes songs about. He has a song uh, way, way back. Um, he, he did a song called Kooks. And it's a really quirky song. And it's about... It, it's basically he's writing a song to his future child. And he's telling his future child, this is what it's going to be like for you to be raised by me. And I'm a kook. And you're going to be with kooks, and we're going to do kooky things. And he talks about in the song some of the crazy things. If you you know if, if you do this, I'm going to do that. And um, it's a it's just a quirky, funny song that I can't think of anybody else who could even write it, much less sing it. But um, David Bowie's catalog, 250 million dollars. So I heard a um, I don't know if you have satellite uh, satellite radio, but he there's a David Bowie channel. <clears throat> and um, the uh, the singer-songwriter Beck did a show on that channel where he just played different David Bowie songs that he had covered and told some of the stories about them and working with him. and Very interesting. He's an interesting guy, Beck is, but um, it's always interesting to hear people that themselves are very prolific and talented and how in awe they are of other people. Like to hear somebody who has made a lot of music say, this is what I grew up listening to, or this is what started me off or inspired me. Pretty cool stuff. 210-599-5555. We're talking about friends and political opposites. And another big story tonight is this big traffic jam in Virginia. I'm sure you've heard about this by now. They had a a uh, snow and ice storm, which is not uncommon up on the East Coast this time of year, but it trapped hundreds of people along a stretch of I-95 in Virginia because some tractor trailers uh, crashed and it was a chain reaction thing and it, it created a big blockade of wreckage or roadblock of wreckage. You know, those things jackknife and turn over and it just blocks all the lanes and then all the traffic backed up behind it <clears throat> and then people either were stuck in their cars and slept in their cars or left their cars and there's a lot of finger pointing going on right now who, who how could this have happened and whose fault is this and a funny thing happened as people began setting themselves up politically and taking their you know staking out their ground i guess it was tempting for some Democrats or liberals 
to lay this at the feet of Glenn Youngkin. Remember last November, Virginians elected Glenn Youngkin their new governor. So there's all this hashtagging of Glenn Youngkin. Where's Glenn? Why isn't he solving this? Why isn't he, you know, why hasn't he come to the rescue? It's like he doesn't even care. He hasn't done anything. Well, he hasn't done anything because he's not the governor yet. There's election day, and then there's inauguration day, and inauguration day is still 10 days away, or 11 days away. Isn't it funny how, I mean, this is a humanitarian story. People are cold, they're hungry. (laughs) Some of them have medical issues, excuse me. Didn't mean to cough. And, um... And the way some people immediately go to the oh well let's 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 do this as a red on blue thing or a blue on red thing and i mean it's it's a it's a mindset you might think because I do this for a living that that I would think that way and i honest to God, I really don't. I would hope that whoever the governor is and right now it's still Ralph Northam is doing something I don't know what he's doing because I'm not there, but at least at least Google. <laughs> to see who's in charge. But it also raises a big question. I mean, whether you want to blame Ralph Northam or Glenn Youngkin or Jack Riccardi, a, a really a really big question here is, is everything that happens to us, is everything that happens in our lives the fault of or the responsibility of government? Maybe it was just a bad snowstorm or a freak storm. I don't know, by the way, because I wasn't privy to this. I don't know if this was in the forecast and everybody knew it was coming. Typically, with winter weather, you have days of advance warning. Usually you do, but not always. So it's not like a tornado that just suddenly pops up out of nowhere. Did people know? Did people plan? Did people? Maybe people shouldn't have been on the road, or I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. And maybe there's nothing that, you know, once an interstate highway gets blocked like this, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, they call them limited access roads for a reason. There is no getting off them. That's the trade off. You, you want the speed when they work, but you're trapped when they don't. Maybe not everything is a political question. What? What are you saying, Jack? How can you say that? You'll put yourself right out of business. I know. Earlier on the show, we talked with Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins University about uh, COVID-19, some of the stuff that's in the news today. Um, I want to replay that for you now. Here's our conversation from a little while ago with Dr. Marty McCary. Joining us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line right now from Johns Hopkins University. And we're always glad to have him back. Dr. Marty McCary. And Dr. McCary, thanks for making time for us. Good afternoon to you. We were we were just talking about the New York Times piece, uh, No Way to Grow Up, where they are finally admitting what people have been talking about for the better part of two years, that all of the upending of the lives of children has not only not saved us from COVID, but has really hurt them. Well, that's right. You know, we've expected kids to endure more hardship and, and harm harm to their health in order for adults to enjoy a hair more protection and that's not fair it's abusive to kids if you see what's happening right now at colleges and universities 
They're basically imposing tremendous restrictions on the lowest risk people on earth. I mean, they're imposing martial law on students who are all vaccinated or they have immunity from natural immunity. They're super low risk. And now they're moving on to boosting them and going virtual and masking. I mean, I just did a sort of report of colleges and universities in the United States published it um, today in Substack. And I was blown away by what the students were telling me. Staff at Georgetown University policing the library, looking for people who are taking a sip of water where they'd loosen their mask because they ha- they routinely are supposed to leave the library to go sip their water outside. So we, people have lost their minds, and we need to get back to some reasonable policies here. Wouldn't it be more dangerous for college students to be at home with their parents, going out with their friends at night, coming back to their parents? It, from, from a COVID transmission standpoint, that seems more dangerous than if they're all on campus together. Schools are a very safe place. And when you, you close schools as we did with, a, by the way, a less contagious variant, then um, they don't, they're not living in the International Space Station. They're not frozen. They're interacting still when schools are closed, and they're interacting with more vulnerable populations. So kids have been an afterthought. They have been, a, they've taken a back seat as adults have gotten their way. They were last in the reopening strategy you know, adults were going to their bars and open bowling alleys while kids were still shut out of schools last spring. And that's because they're defenseless. So all of these policies against schools, in my opinion, to keep them closed, have been an abuse of power by adults. We're uh, we're hearing some chatter about maybe a fourth booster. And I, I, it's, it's, it's getting very hard to take any of this seriously as science as opposed to just sort of guesswork where, where are you on the idea of adding boosters and, and and so forth well i actually believe in the scientific process and right now there's no data to support additional boosters as a matter of fact the only place where the booster data is supportive right now is for the third dose in people over age 50 especially those with a risk factor and if you got the J&J dose, that should have been designed as a two-dose vaccine, so I recommend a second dose. And mm-hmm. if you have natural immunity, something that the government generally ignores, you don't need additional vaccine doses. Mm-hmm. So that's where I stand right now. There are people who want want you to get a booster every Monday morning when you show up at work. We've just got to wait for the data. Now, I got COVID right before Christmas, and I had had both uh, Moderna shots, I'd had the booster. I got the monoclonal antibody treatment um, about three days in, four days in, and was better in about 48 hours. But I, I don't know, and even they couldn't tell me if that was coincidental or uh, or if there's data to support that that is helping people. What do we? How much do we know about the monoclonal treatment? Well, the problem with the monoclonal antibodies is that two of them don't work with Omicron and we don't know which strain you have because it's never been a part of the workflow of the medical profession that is the processes of the hospital 
to get you the result of which variant you have mm-hmm. and get that information back to your doctors and then have you set up for monoclonals. And we just sort of got caught flat-footed. You know, it's usually in the outpatient setting and it's, um, and it's hard to get that lab information sequenced and back to your doctor and then coordinate the monoclonals. But separate from the monoclonals, we have other great treatments that are massively underrecognized and underused. Fluvoxamine, for example, is an antidepressant that's been around the whole pandemic. It costs about 10 bucks. They're very safe. And the studies have found that it reduces COVID mortality by up to 91%. Those are randomized control trials. And there's no data to the contrary. It does not have the controversy of other therapeutics. But you never hear about these things. And so the best practices out there are to use a bundle of interventions. And I believe right now, if you do that, nobody should be dying of COVID right now, with rare exceptions. Have we done enough to be honest with people about their own proactive health? In other words, even outside of covid you know, we have this whole concept of fat shaming and we're not supposed to talk about it, but are, are we holding back from people what we actually know and have already known about how if you take better care of yourself, you are in a better position to either resist or weather these things? Well, thank you for bringing that up because nobody has been talking about this and a bunch of us have been talking to we're blue in the face. I mean, how much more can we do than write dozens of articles and try to get the word out on this. When we told people to stay at home, we should have told them to get outside, be active, get out there and do all kinds of, you know, keep yourself in good shape. We are not allowed to talk about obesity for some reason with COVID, even though it's the number one common risk factor out there beyond advanced age. So we need to have a real honest conversation. And to be honest with you, Humility is something I think people are hungry from for from our public health officials. I think we sh- I think people should just be very straight with uh, the public right now because public health credibility is at an all time low, and some honesty would help repair some of that damage. Amen to that, Dr. Marty McCary. Always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you today. Thanks so much for having me. That's why we have him on the show. Honesty, straightforward, admits what we don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it may almost be too late for some of the people who I think he is referring to and who you and I are thinking of in the public health realm. We're, we're almost going to need, after COVID, we're, we're almost going to need a new public health cast of characters or hierarchy, right? I mean, I, I just, I think some of these people may be beyond, if, even if they flipped the switch right now and became, introspective and thoughtful and depoliticized i don't know if they could i don't think they could pull it off at this point you know what i'm saying anyway that's why we have him on we love having him on and we appreciate his time KTSA News Time is 6.39. Coming up later in this half hour, we'll see how you voted on tonight's Stevens Roofing JR poll. Can you be friends with your political opposite? 
if you are in uh you know total polar disagreement with someone on either the president, the political parties, right versus left, hot button issues, one issue, a lot of issues, can you um and are you friends? And I mean it's so there's no wrong answer. I mean there are people who would say it's just it's too much work or I I just prefer not to be or I don't want to have an argument. Although I would point out that you can kind of carve the friendship around those differences if you if you do it right, if both parties agree to that. But what do you think about that? Being friends with your political opposite. 210-599-5555. Now, um the the friend I'm thinking of um actually is he's my political opposite in the beginning of the friendship there was a lot of you know I want to I want to ask you about this or I want to I want you to explain to me why you think and and I would do it and then eventually I kind of told him look if we're going to be friends we got to just you got to you got to know this is my job I don't want to do it my off hours after I've done a three-hour radio show I don't want to spend all night arguing about the same stuff I feel like I'm still at work that way you know so we didn't we didn't argue but what was funny was he'll he'll listen to the show which I don't know why because again he doesn't agree with anything of all the things we've ever done on this show and of all the people I've had on this show do you know what wowed him the most I, I mean he he was just starstruck the day we had the my pillow guy on the show do you remember that Mike Lindell the my pillow guy for whatever reason he thought that was co- like when I had Mike Lindell, then I was cool. <laughs> That's so random, right? And I heard Mike Lindell's commercials now. Have you heard this? He's got you know he's got the my pillow and they have sheets. I bought a set of the sheets for my mom. They're really nice sheets. And now they've got slippers and they're called my slippers. And um, I heard the commercial a couple of times today. And the people on the commercial are talking about how great the slippers are. And and the, one of them is saying. I wear these slippers out. I wear them everywhere I go. And I don't know, am I just old-fashioned? or you don't, you don't wear slippers everywhere you go. I don't care how great they are. They're slippers. You wear them at home. Therefore, at home. And frankly, I guess this is an extension of the trend that where people are, have you noticed, I saw this a lot around the, the holidays, people are now wearing pajama bottoms as pants. And they're obviously pajama bottoms. There's no no doubting this. There's no question that's what they are. So I guess if you're going to wear your pajamas everywhere, you know, to HEB or Home Depot, I, I, I guess you could wear the slippers too. Why not the bathrobe? Now, we did a show at one point where we asked people, do you sleep in pajamas or underwear or with nothing? A lot of people... Sleep in their underwear. So I guess, I guess if we get casual enough to where we're wearing pajamas and slippers, will it eventually, are we heading to the point where people can just wear underwear in public? You think I'm being crazy, right? You think that's a silly question? Probably 50 years ago, wearing your pajamas on an airplane would have seemed like an insane thing to do, like they would have thrown a net over you. Now people do it. A, a lot. So someday I'll be dead and buried, and you'll go, 
You know, there was a guy on the radio that predicted in 2022 that people would just wear underwear in public, and now it's happening. Just saying. 210-599-5555. All right, the friendship question. What's your answer to it? Jay is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jay, good evening to you. Hi. Hi. Uh, Good evening. I don't have an answer for the question, but I I have an example. Uh, my wife and I were on already kind of rocky in our marriage at about mm-hmm. the time the election happened. Mm-hmm. And we'd had some arguments about uh, Trump voting, whether I should vote for Trump or not, stuff like that. And then uh, in December, we were not really arguing. We were talking about politics. <laughs> she looked me dead on and said, uh, well, any anybody who voted for Trump is just a total idiot. I have no use for him. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Uh, but that's that's about the time I knew that it, that it there wasn't going to be any salvaging mm. things. I'm sorry to hear that. Just, I mean, it just we we've had political discussions before and disagreements. Yeah. Uh, and I'd always just you know state my case and walk away from it. Right, but to, to flop it down like that, it was, yeah, you know. And I, I wanted to say, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot, lot of uh, degrees and um, demonstrated intelligence that have thought he was the best choice too. Right, but it really, it really doesn't matter if, if that was her opinion, and it yeah. most certainly included me. Mm. Uh, there wasn't any any point in trying to save a friendship. So it felt point. like it felt like it felt like she threw you away, basically. Well, well, I mean, certainly it wasn't good before that, uh, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and it and nobody that was her friend before uh, that has expressed conservative uh, ideals since. Oh, uh, is okay. her friend any, is, so she's is cleared the. De- it wasn't just you. She's cleared the decks of everybody who's politically her opposite. Yeah, but I'd like to think I was the most important chair on the deck. Oh there. yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah, you know, I, you, you were. I'm. I'm sorry, Jay. I didn't mean to make it sound like you know you were you were in the same boat. I just meant it sounds like it sounds like that was a pattern that was going on there. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, and you were very honest in saying it, if there was already trouble to begin with, um, maybe that wasn't really the whole reason. Maybe that was kind of like the excuse that was given, right? Yeah. You know, if you have a second, um, I used to be a police officer, retired, mm-hmm. and police officers have incredibly varying views uh, on politics, life, all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But when at any given time you may have to have that person watch uh i guess i got cut off no you're still on i'm listening oh no I said i call in it okay uh whenever at any given time you may have to watch that person have that person watch your back right um you know you you put it aside uh yeah. and there'll be political arguments there's arguments of all sorts of stuff uh, mm-hmm. Cowboys versus Packers, right. um, but you've got to understand that there's none of that is important. Right. Even even presidential elections, right, um, has to take 
a back seat to uh, supporting people that are important to you. That's very well said. I I couldn't said it better. That is exactly how I feel. I mean, if we can't do that, then we've let politics be our our god. We've let it rule us, and 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 that's a terrible decision to make. I can guarantee you that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I can guarantee you that that people wish us ill aren't going to say, "Oh, well, that's okay. You voted for Biden." Or that's okay. You voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. If we're not sticking together, what, what yeah. did they say? Uh, if we don't stand together, we'll surely. If we don't hang together, we'll hang apart. Yeah, yeah, hang separately. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Yeah, I think you made a good point. You're you're a brave guy to say all this out loud, and I, I wish you well in the future. I'm sorry about your marriage, but um, I think you have the right attitude about all this, and, and good luck with everything. Thank you for calling us. Hope you'll call again. Can you be friends with your political opposite? A lot of people are and have that kind of friendship. It's pretty encouraging to hear all these stories. And 81% tonight said, yes, you can. 81% yes, 19% no. And I'm thinking the 19% maybe people that, you know, tried it and had a bad experience with it or the other person was unreasonable. or It, it does happen. Uh, it's certainly not possible with everybody you would ever meet or with every combination of people, I think the best way to say it is that it, it is possible when both people make it possible. Does that seem reasonable? Can we can we get an amen on that? Um, so new new JR poll tomorrow um, when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. There was a story uh, today that uh, the police have arrested a guy who, a 29-year-old guy, he was... A um, he was delivering groceries uh, for somebody, and um, a ring doorbell caught him basically exposing himself at their door. So I guess he was supposed to leave the the. Gro- I don't get grocery delivery, so I don't know. I guess it's contact free. They leave it, and then you go pick him up off your doorstep. And this guy was putting on a little show for the camera. And then it turns out that they now think he may also have been the guy who was working for DoorDash and um, did it then, too. They Now they're thinking that this incident that happened previously might have also been him. Which um, does make you wonder, right? I've kind of... I don't have a video doorbell. I've, think, I've been thinking about getting one. This... This kind of moves me away from it. What a thing to just see, right? I mean, you're, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that these doorbell uh, cameras capture, right? We've seen people stealing packages. We've seen wild animals. People have seen hit-and-run accidents. That would not be what you'd expect. And I guess it goes to your phone, right? Those, that's the way those things work. You have an app. And you get a notification that there's somebody at your door or there's activity at your door. There was activity at the door. Definitely. I'm not sure what the, like, what's the, what's the end game here? Was he, was he thinking if somebody sees this, they will want to open the door? Is it like, you know, it's like a form of introduction? I'm, I'm just, uh, maybe I'm overthinking it, but anyway. So, um, I'm thinking he probably won't be hired by another delivery 
outfit now. This is not the right work for him. Whatever whatever else is going on, this is probably not what he uh, should be doing. The Washington football team has announced that they will have their new name announcement next month. We still don't know what it will be, but they've taken wolves and anything involving the word wolves off the table. So they're still considering names like presidents, defenders, brigade, commanders, and maybe keeping it the Washington football team. We'll see next month. And we'll see you back here on the radio for Sean tomorrow morning at 9 and back here in the afternoon at 4.